When Joe Madden entered his first season as the manager of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays in 2006, he had a big poppy-sized problem to deal with. Red Sox slugger David Ortiz had been using St. Petersburg and the entire league as his personal offensive playground for the past several seasons, with no signs of letting up. The left-handed Ortiz was a notorious pull hitter, lacing liners to the right side of the field with so much success that teams began to place three infielders on that side to try to slow him down. But Madden was ready to go one step further. He began positioning not just three infielders on the right, but all three outfielders as well, leaving the third baseman alone to cover the left side of the diamond. With Ortiz unable to convert himself into a spray hitter on the fly, he found himself frequently stymied by Madden's defensive wall. We don't have a ready count of just how many hits Ortiz lost to Joe Madden's creativity, but the rest of the league certainly took notice. Fast forward a dozen years, and it's clear that a shift revolution has taken hold of Major League Baseball. More than 30,000 defensive shifts took place in the 2018 season alone. That's more than once in every five at-bats. And what became of the duel between Ortiz and Madden? Although he would later say that shifts had taken 500 hits away from him, Big Poppy managed to remain a dominant force in the game for another decade, while demonstrating, hundreds of times over, one of the things the shift can't take away, a home run. So what about Madden? After taking over as manager of the Cubs in 2015, his teams have ranked near the bottom of the league in shifts. Did he recognize that the shift might have hit peak bubble? Well, in 2016, while downplaying the very strategy he helped popularize, Madden led the Northside's lovable losers to their first World Series championship in 108 years. I'm Ben Shields. I'm Paul Michaelman, and this is CounterPoints, the sports analytics podcast from MIT Sloan Management Review. In this episode, what would happen if baseball outlawed the shift? CounterPoints is brought to you by Ticketmaster, the world's leading ticketing software and services company. Ticketmaster is trusted by thousands of artists, teams, and venues across 29 countries, connecting more than 1 billion fans and powering half a billion tickets each year. That's 15 tickets per second to live events around the globe. So whether you're grabbing seats to a must-win game, catching the hottest show in town, or giving someone you love an experience they'll remember forever, head over to Ticketmaster for 100% safe, verified tickets to your next unforgettable event. Because live only happens once. Supporters of the shift believe it is a solid baseball strategy. By overloading defenders to the side of the field where a particular hitter routinely drives the ball, teams should get outs more easily. When to deploy the shift is a game of numbers. It depends on the likelihood of the batter to hit the ball one direction or the other, given his tendencies and the circumstances on the field. Decisions regarding the shift represent analytical thinking in all its glory. And yet there is a growing legion of shift haters. The drumbeat of those who blame the shift not just for reducing hits, but for increasing strikeouts, robbing the game of excitement, and any number of other sins grows louder by the day. In short, there are plenty who believe the shift is ruining baseball. But how much of the game's recent evolution is really due to the shift, and what might actually happen if it was banned? Those are the questions Jason Stark set out to investigate. The 2019 J.G. Taylor Spink Award winner, Stark is currently a columnist for The Athletic, 
and appears on MLB Network and Stadium TV. He joined us to dig into baseball's big question of the day. What would happen if Major League Baseball outlawed the shift? Jason, thanks for joining the show today. Well, thank you guys for having me. So let's begin at the beginning. Um, Talk to us about the strategy behind the shift and its recent history in Major League Baseball. Yeah, the shift didn't exactly start last week. You can dig up all over the Internet really cool black and white photos of Ted Williams hitting against the shift 60, 70 years ago. And, you know, it's appeared intermittently ever since. It's just over the last 10 years and really the last five years has this exploded. And, you know, why is that? (laughs) Because there's so much more information in the game and you've got front offices that just can't get enough of it. So just here is how the shift has changed. There were 8,000 more shifts on balls in play in this past season than there were the year before. 8,000 more. If we look over the last five years, there were 28,000 more shifts than five years ago. That's an astounding number. And all right, so why is that happening? (laughs) Because of data. It's pure science. It's such a simple concept. I I remember arguing with Barry Bonds 10 years ago. He was trying to tell me, ah, this shift don't work, man. And I said, of course it works. Here's the deal. Because of the data, if you're the defense and you're the pitcher and you're the coaching staff, you know if we throw you this pitch in this spot, maybe even in this count, We know exactly where you're going to hit it. So guess what? We're going to have somebody standing there. That explains the shift. It's just the baseball equivalent of it's third and one in the NFL. There's going to be 10 defenders in the box because you're probably going to run. It's the same thing. (laughs) Well, Jason, it sounds like the shift at the highest level is an interesting strategy in baseball, but... We also know that quite a few people in the game, both fans and in the league, view it as a problem. Can you explain to us why the shift is seen as a problem? (laughs) Well, uh, I I think the big picture reason is if you're going to ask Rob Manfred, inject him with truth serum and say, what's the biggest problem in your sport right now? The big picture answer would be, You know, we're reaching this tipping point between what makes great baseball strategy based on information versus what makes great entertainment strategy based on what people who are sitting there in the seats would love to see. And I would say that if you're going to define what he would like to do with his sport, he would like to see the game had better rhythm, which has nothing to do with the shift, really. And see the game have more action. And more action, you could roughly translate to more people running around the bases. You know, more balls in play. And why do they think the shift has an impact on both of those? Well, let's talk about the running around the bases part. If you just look at at the pure data, the single is now all of a sudden an endangered species. There were fewer singles 
this year than in any season in this millennium. Uh, singles are down 3,000, 3,000 fewer singles than 10 years ago. And, uh, you know, singles aren't what they used to be. But when somebody hits a single, <laughs> he's running around the bases. We're looking for more of that. That's the whole theory coming from the commissioner's office. We need more action. And then the other part of it is more balls in play. I think this is probably the biggest question I get from people. If you're trying to increase the number of balls in play, why would you attack a strategy that's designed only for balls that are already in play? And I think the answer is there is this theory uh, within the commissioner's office, within the competition committee, that what have hitters been coached to do to combat the shift? I mean, you would think they would be coached to just hit the ball where nobody's standing, you know, try to try to hit it through that big hole on the other side. But it, that's not really the case. What they've really been coached to do is hit the ball over the shift. It's where the launch angle revolution has come from in great part. And, you know, how have pitchers combated that? Uh, if, you've, if you've got one hitter after another marching up to the plate with an uppercut swing, the answer from these pitchers is to start throwing their 97-mile-an-hour four-seam fastball over those bats. And when uppercut swings meet those 97-mile-an-hour four-seam fastballs, you know what you get? More swinging and missing than you've ever seen. So that I think that's the theory and why limiting shifts could help all of that, theoretically. What would a rule banning the shift actually look like in practice? Are players going to be in some kind of box that they can't move from? <laughs> uh, you, you have two potential options. One idea is... We're going to limit the lead to having two infielders on the left side of second base and two infielders on the right side of second base. That's really simple combat the shift 101. Or there's another variation which would make a lot of left-handed hitters happy. You know, <laughs> you know those guys who hit that line drive over the second baseman and think they got a hit, but the third baseman's standing out 50 feet in right field and throws them out. <laughs> Uh, they would love to see a rule that says infielders have to stand in the infield. They can't be on the outfield dirt. And so you could do both of those or you could do one or the other. But then, like I've already had coaching staffs ask me, how, how are we defining infielder? Good question. Yeah, that seems to be another layer of complexity <laughs> to this whole issue, Jason. Yeah. So I, I want to get to this question about is there – any data that you are aware of about understanding how the removing the shift will impact the game? Do we have a sense well, of what the reward or risks would be? Yeah, I, you know, right now nobody is doing more to track shifts than uh, Sports Info Solutions, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with. Uh, you know, people who read that Bill James handbook every year or go to Bill James online. He's affiliated with Sports Info Solutions. And so they track shifts. They track what happens every time a ball is hit into a shift. I asked them to do some research for me. So they looked at last season and they looked at the last three seasons and tried to track the difference between 
what has happened when a team was in a full shift and then either a ground ball or a short line drive was hit into that full shift versus what would happen if the same ground ball or the same short line drive had been hit against a team that was not playing a full shift, that would probably be playing a defense where the second baseman or the shortstop would be playing like an inch and a half to the other side of the bag. <laughs> so he wouldn't be hauled into court and accused of violating the shift rule. Um, and the results were really interesting. You would see, if they just did that, a 50-point jump in batting average on ground balls and short line drives that are pulled into the shift. 50 points. That sounds very impressive, right? But here's the other side of that. Uh, it comes to only about 500 more hits per season, and most of those hits are singles. And the reason for that is, while it seems like every time you look up, a team is shifting, and they're shifting on every hitter, that's not really the case. There's really only a shift on about 20% of all plate appearances. So that means every inning, at least one hitter is getting shifted on. And the shift is having a major impact, certainly on left-handed hitters. But in terms of the totality of the game, 500 hits by the entire sport over the entire season is not a lot of hits. But all right, now here's, here's the other side of this. All right, we've, we've got that data and we show that removing the shift would produce more hits. But the other side of it is we can't examine that data in a vacuum. Uh, one of the people I talked to for the piece I wrote about it was Joe Madden, who's the manager of the Cubs. And, you know, he gave me this example. Just imagine the difference between when a hitter hits a ground ball into the shift when there's a man on first and nobody out. Uh, right, what happens when you do that? It's a double play. Okay, but now let's consider the difference between that same ground ball into no shift. What do you got? You've got first and third. So think about the difference. Two outs, nobody on versus first and third, nobody out. That's a huge difference. Um, everything changes because of situations in baseball. So we, we don't know what the impact of that alone would be. And then we don't know what the impact on mindset would be. You know, I had coaches ask me this question. How do we know that, you know, that say that big left-handed masher who comes up and there's a man in scoring position and there's a big hole in the right side that didn't used to be there. How do we know that he wouldn't just hit a ground ball through that side where ordinarily he'd be trying to lift the ball uh, and maybe strike out? We don't know what that impact is. How do we know that with two strikes, if there's that big hole that didn't used to be there, he wouldn't shorten up and settle for hitting a ground ball, whereas now that's not an option. There's so much that we don't know about what the impact would be of this that it's fascinating. So there's the raw data, but then there's all the ripple effects of taking it away that nobody can possibly compute. So, Jason, if we kind of come back to the raw data, and we love, love this argument because of the complexities, it's very hard to prove causal connection here because there's so many other factors in play, right, as you've right. just articulated. What other, I'm interested in kind of exploring what other factors could be contributing to changes in the game and changes in the data during the shift era, right? What else has gone on? How much might we be attributing to the shift incorrectly or without justification? I think that comes 
back to two things. Uh, one is you know, there's just so much information now that is just uh, crammed into every pitch of every game that affects how you know how hitters are pitched, um, how hitters are defended. The, the pitcher in the defense now knows everything about that hitter. So you can't underestimate that. That would not change whether you had shifts or no shifts. The second thing, and this is, I, I think, the, the biggest and most impactful change in the sport of them all is velocity. I mean, the number of pitchers who throw 95 miles an hour or harder now has quadrupled or quintupled over the last five years, depending on which data set you want to use. That's an enormous change. And whereas shifts are, that's 20% of all plate appearances, velocity is every plate appearance, as long as one of those pitchers is in the game. And what is that leading to? That's leading to swings and misses, right? It's leading to this incredible epidemic of strikeouts, which people talk about the three true outcomes, strikeouts, homers, walks, and how that's taking over the game. And because of that, you know, the game, we're now at a situation where there's almost four minutes between each ball and play. Um, but so much of that really is about the explosion in strikeouts. And nobody knows how to combat velocity. There's no good solution without really changing the sport at its foundation. You know, you'd have to, you'd have to move the mound, lower the mound, raise the mound. <laughs> what, what exactly are you going to do that would allow hitters a better chance to attack velocity? And velocity figures into the whole shift stuff, too. I mean, one of the things that you hear is the shift has been around and really prevalent for the last 10 years. And have we seen this massive uptick of hitters trying to go the other way to beat the shift? We haven't. And one of the reasons for that is velocity. It's really difficult to do that against the intense velocity they're seeing. So that's the part of this that is really underestimated. So, Jason, I want to build on that and think about the current shift trend, especially with the velocity point that you just made. Have these trends been happening long enough to to have impacted longer-term decision-making in the game, like player evaluation and, and development? You think about Big Poppy, for instance. Will we look at Big Poppy differently if he were coming up through the ranks today than we would have when he first started? Well, um, I mean, look, Big, Big Poppy's a, he's an interesting example, but you know, one of the reasons he's interesting <laughs> is that when he started to get shifted on massively midway through his career, maybe a little bit in the, in the late, latter stages of his, of his career, because of that, he actually is one of the few left-handed sluggers who rebuilt his swing uh, so that he could attack the shift better. Um, so he's probably not the right example. You know, the better example would be the uh, like the Joey Gallows of the world. When I wrote my column, one of the first people who responded on Twitter 
was Joey Gallo himself who said, this is all I want for Christmas. <laughs> right? Because he's he's dealing with all of it. Shifts on almost every plate appearance and four outfielders. Uh, like, he can't hit a single. He's had back-to-back years of more homers than singles. Nobody's ever done that. Right? And so that's the example of the guy who has really been impacted. It's that it's that big left-handed pull hitting slugger who can't run at all. You know, he's got nothing in common with Tony Gwynn, nothing in common with, uh, with Vince Coleman. He can't run. He can't slap the ball around. All he does is, is go up there and try to pull a ball in the air and it's all he can do. And so the one dimensional left-handed slugger, is no longer evaluated the way he used to be. Um, it's a fascinating trend in the business where guys who hit 20 home runs, 30 home runs, they go out into the free agent market. They used to get rich. Now they can barely get a job. So, it, you know, through that lens, um, if we did ban the shift, how many of these problems and trends we're seeing that we're attributing to the shift, maybe conveniently and maybe based on solid argument, like what percent of those are actually going to be addressed? Wow, I'm not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> like you, you may have invited me on the MIT Sloan podcast, but I am not that smart. I, I really think that nobody knows the answer. But, you know, this kind of goes to the big picture aspect of this again. Um, you know, if you talk to enough people within the sport about this, they admit they don't exactly know the answer to the question that you're asking. But what they, you know what they'd like to do? Try it. <laughs> they'd like to try it and see what happens because their feeling is NFL does this all the time. The NBA does this all the time. They tweak their rules. They experiment with rules, uh, trying to inject more offense and more action into their sport. And when it works, people love it. They keep it. When it doesn't work, you know what they do in a few years? They try something else. We don't have that climate within baseball. For some reason, it feels like the, the rules of baseball have somehow uh, come to be sacrosanct. This, uh, this religious doctrine that we should not be messing with. And everybody gets offended if you talk about messing with it. And I, I think that speaks to one of the biggest issues in the game. Everybody admits that baseball needs to change. They all have different theories on why it should change and how it should change and what it should do when it changes but the climate is such, you can't make any of that change happen. And one of the big reasons that I decided to write the piece I wrote was I wanted to get the conversation started. And specifically that aspect of it. Why is it, is it so wrong in baseball to experiment with change? Well, Jason, that will bring us to, I think, our final question for you. You've done a very balanced analysis of the current state of the shift. What do you think should be done with regards to the shift? Um, I, I would try this. I wouldn't limit 
two infielders on each side of the second base only on the infield dirt, although that would create a lot more hits, I think. I wouldn't mind experimenting with two infielders on each side of second base. You know, people ask me all the time, how can you make a rule that limits where players can stand 165 times a, a game? And the answer is, again, the other sports do that all the time. In the NBA, you know, your seven foot three guy can't camp in the lane on defense for, for all 24 seconds of the shot clock. He's got to get out of there. Uh, in the NFL, they have rules about how many players can stand at the line of scrimmage on offense. And hockey and soccer have offsides about where players can stand. And so there's precedent for this outside the sport. And then I want to, I'd love to go back to the issue that I just talked about. And that is, I would like to see an atmosphere in the sport where it's okay to experiment with different changes like this. It really doesn't bother me if they would rather conduct those experiments in like the Arizona Fall League or the Pacific Coast League, or throughout the minor leagues before they do it in the big leagues. That's cool. That's fine. Uh, Wherever you think is an effective laboratory, try that. But let's get to the point where we can address potential issues in the sport and see if we can make the sport a more entertaining event day in, day out. I'm not convinced that this fixes everything. I think they should be talking about a million different possible changes all across the board. But this should be part of that conversation. And maybe we can reach a point where you can fit a few different pieces in this puzzle together. And you come out on the other end with a more entertaining game. Who's opposed to more entertainment? Anyone? Definitely not us. No. (laughs) <laughs> on that uh you, you've you, you've elegantly brought us back up to the wide angle um so thank you very much jason stark this was a terrific conversation uh, i i really enjoyed it uh this is one of my favorite topics uh, you probably could tell right and if you want to learn more about the shift and what might happen if baseball dropped it Check out Jason's article on the topic at theathletic.com. This has been CounterPoints, the sports analytics podcast from MIT Sloan Management Review. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed. If you enjoy CounterPoints, please take a moment to rate and review us. We will graciously accept your constructive criticism, too. CounterPoints is produced by Mary Dew. Our theme music was composed by Matt Reed. Our coordinating producer is Mackenzie Wise. Our crack researcher is Jake Menashe. And our maven of marketing is Desiree Barry. <laughs>